Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Simon. Hello, I'm Ben. Hi, gents. Welcome, Welcome to, last to the last Wednesday, Wednesday of the week. <laughs> <clears throat> On this week's Jam Pack Show, we talk Olympics, Man U, NFL Draft, Formula One, Social Media Blackout, Snooker, Premier League, WNBA, and more. Yes, here we are. It is the last Wednesday of the week. Welcome, if you're listening for the first time, an extra welcome to you. If you're listening, if you're a long-time listener, this is now our 11th show. Yes, we've passed our 10th episode without fanfare but we know you're out there listening so thank you so much for joining us on this journey so far we are having a ton of fun doing this and we hope that you're at least getting some joy out of listening or learning about a new sport or getting into a new sport before because of it or or just you know getting bored of a, a, a sport you love because of the way we talk about it either way thank you for joining us as usual i'm joined by simon and ben in a slight change to our advertised episode, our interview with uh, Jen and Andrew is now pushed back to um, the beginning of June due to unforeseen circumstances, but we're still very much looking forward to having them on the show and can't wait for that. But, um, gents, we're going to just get stuck into a whole myriad of things because talking before the show, you know, and last week it was a little bit of a quiet week ahead, but as we get proofs are wrong time and time again, a lot happens in sport doesn't it Simon yeah I mean this is what we call throwing an audible so you know in American football terms this is this is uh this is finding an alternative uh way to do things and um I think this is going to be a good show but yes uh every week I think oh my god what the hell am I going to talk about today and then come to the show with about 17 things on my, my little list of papers so I think we'll have a good show I think there's a lot to kind of dissect a lot more than we all assumed there was going to be so I'm really excited Absolutely, Ben. You uh, you got something to say? Last week was the uh, Snyder cut. This is the <laughs> improv cut. Yeah, yeah we we are full improv mode today, but it's all good because sport always gives, sport always provides, which is why those two love it and I tolerate it. <laughs> Some of it. So uh, to give you a heads up of the things we're going to get stuck into today, we're going to of course revisit two big events over the last couple of weeks. Um, that we've talked about on the show. One is just to revisit and tie off some of the loose ends with the NFL draft. We're going to, of course, uh, look at what happened with Man U and Liverpool over the weekend. We're going to get stuck into um, the snooker, the Olympics, um, Formula One, the social media blackout, Premier League, WNBA, Formula E. There's so much to talk about still. <laughs> So, gents, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Um, Simon, let's tie up some loose ends with the draft, shall we? Yeah, so don't worry, everyone. This is going to be a rather quick segment, so please don't skip ahead. I, I will try and make this brief. Um, we're, me and Ben are very, very aware that we obviously went into exceedingly large amounts of detail last week, but we're proud of it. it I think it came out and sounded quite nice. But, um, yeah, so the draft has come and gone. Um, I am absolutely knackered still from staying up to the wee hours of the morning to watch the uh, first day and, and watching the second and third days on, on catch-up. So um, I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm exhausted I had a Zoom call uh, with four of my friends uh, whilst the draft was on, and I made nachos. I had 1 a.m. nachos, okay? I drank Budweiser to, uh, you know, commemorate the 
the American, the, the vibes, um, mm. the draft was absolutely brilliant. But I, wa- I, I was ruined for the next 48 hours. I didn't even drink that much. It was just because I cannot go to bed at 5 a.m. and function the next day. Okay, this isn't a show about your gent's lack of stamina. Tell us, <laughs> the NFL draft, did it live up to your expectations? So. There's a lot of jokes about my stamina, but that's another thing entirely. So basically, um, yeah, I think it was an amazing occasion. It was it was basically like being back to what the draft was like in previous years. So we had, as you know, everyone's aware, we've had COVID. So um, last year's draft was affected by that. They They, you know pushed their way through and, and carried on and had a bit of a, a strange kind of Zoom-esque draft, which was still very engaging to watch last year. But this year was almost a return to the normal format of uh, vaccinated crowds. Um, you had It was funny when they showed each individual team in their little decision room, their little boardroom, and it had fully vaccinated um, GMs. And so, it was basically like doing everything they could to kind of reassure everyone that these people were you know, fully vaccinated and not likely to be giving each other COVID. Um, so, yeah, so it was a nice to get back to what we consider a normal format. Uh, there was no big surprises in the, in the you know, the number one pick. It was uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, who went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, we all saw that coming for months. And if, if you were kind enough to listen to our, our interview from last week, every one of us predicted it. In fact, the whole world, you know, anyone who watches NFL predicted he was going to go first. Um but yeah, it was just a wonderful occasion. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, hilariously, most of our our mock draft kind of picks came off. I think to a certain extent, uh, we may not have got the exact teams, but you know, yes, whoa, Ben. Whoa, 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 whoa! Most of my mock draft <laughs> predictions came off. Uh, the two experts, Simon and Ed, are uh, tracking behind me. I want to add there about the war rooms. They call them the draft war rooms. Some of them were so pokey and horrible. They looked like a real bad like, conference room B in Greater Manchester. <laughs> like this was so weird. And some of them were just these incredible, uh, you know, emblazoned with the logos and shirts and things like that. I thought it was fantastic. It was one of the it was the first draft I'd watched fully all the way through, and there were some really big moments. I loved the printing guys at the bottom. So obviously the draft pick comes through, and I'm like, how do they have the shirt so quick? And there's this team of of shirt printers downstairs, kind of almost like an orchestra at the Oscars, just going down, bang, stamp, Trevor Lawrence number one, and it comes up with uh, Roger Goodell, and he brings it out. And I don't know why. Why do they boo him? He's so so he's so look wholesome or is that a little window into the conspiracy that is the shirts are already printed oh don't ruin the fun dan um, <laughs> they boo him that's kind of tradition in a lot of sports they used to do the same in the nba with the previous commissioner who's my who's uh his name is escaping me at this moment in time um i think it's just tradition i mean roger goodell is a little bit of the bitch boy of the nfl owners so i mean there is a lot of reasons to despise him in in some ways and you know he is the figurehead for the organization so all of the bad stuff all of the decisions to i don't know ban your favorite player for six games for beating up his girlfriend or something can obviously be taken out on roger goodell um so um yeah ultimately um it's sometimes uh the case that he is is booed excessively um the fact is the cleveland crowd were booing literally every team that they could see as well so um you know everyone was getting the same treatment you know you have these poor guys who have just come out of college you know 21 year old 22 year old guys being booed the shit out of by 
just rampant, slightly drunk fans in Cleveland. So, yeah, it was, it was as I said, back to relative normality. So um, kind of talking about that as well, uh, Ben's hex did come off as well for poor Christian Barmore, who dropped down around. Um, he was a, a guy that Ben had mocked in his top eight, and he went in the second round, which is, I think it was like pick 36, but he went to the Patriots. So, I mean, you're a happy boy, I reckon. Exactly. Who did he go to? The Patriots. Maybe that so the, jinxed him on purpose. He went to my team. We had a fantastic draft, Dan. This is the guy that you said was uncoachable, or someone referred to him as uncoachable, and you're happy that he's gone to your team? Yes, because we have the best coach, Bill Belichick. He could coach anybody. And uh, Barmore, is, uh, he's got the size. I actually think he's got the attitude to really be successful in, in, um, in the NFL. I was really happy with the Patriots draft. Uh, Mac Jones dropped for us to, to pick 15. He dropped all the way and we didn't have to trade any picks up to get our quarterback. Whether he starts or I think probably Cam Newton goes uh, at the start of next season. But the Bears, the Chicago Bears, trade of the day. What happened, Sai? So the Bears traded up from pick number 20 all the way to pick 11. Um as uh, kind of people who don't understand that basically means they gave away some other picks, uh, some from next year's draft and some from this year's draft to get uh, a quarterback themselves. Basically, um, anyone who's listened long term has heard me lament about how terrible the Bears have been and how deflated I am. I'm now back on cloud nine again. It's exciting times for both teams, actually. Both of us needed a quarterback and now we're both back in the big time. Yes, Dan. It's just quite fortunate because you're not going to get that elation from the Bulls at the moment, are you? No, not the Bulls. Uh, Aston Villa won at the weekend. I suppose that was a good thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the Cubs are dreadful in the MLB. They can't hit anything. Yeah, so basically, I may I talked a while ago about sport. Who needs it? It's just a reason to be exceedingly upset and distressed. And apart from your, unless you're a glory hunter support like Ben. Um, but, uh, you know... <laughs> But yeah, um, it's it's been a strange time. But yeah, it's awesome. It's just absolutely put us back me back into cloud nine with with the um, with the bears, and we'll see how it goes from here. Really, great. So you're a happy boy out of the draft, um, Ben. Final word on the draft. I want to say I chose the Patriots because the final against the Falcons was such an incredible comeback. Adding to that. I supported Liverpool for three decades. I deserve some success. I wouldn't expect them to ever win a Premier League title. So I glory supporting is okay. And on that bombshell from Ben, um, <laughs> we will talk further about glory supporting and um, his love of Liverpool. Because those of you that listened to last week's show know that Ben will have said something to watch out for for the coming weekend was the Man U-Liverpool game which, of course, as it arrived, um, was postponed and postponed because there was an invasion on the pitch. And as we all know, it was in response to something that came up on our podcast a couple of weeks back, um, rather heated, very emotional and took Europe by storm, which is, of course, the news of the European Super League. Ben, tell us a bit more about what happened. Now, there was basically 200 fans walked onto the Old Trafford pitch. And when I say walk... By the looks of things, the sounds of things, and from what the commentary said, the gates were just open. I don't think there was a huge amount of resistance for a 200-strong horde. They forced their way onto the pitch. Obviously, it was all in a demonstration, a protest against the Glazers. It was less ESL at this point. Of course, the ESL had brought this on, but this was really Glazer-focused. There's been rumbles for years about the Glazers. Uh, they... 
they say that the Glazers just need Manchester United to finish in the top four. They get the Champions League income and that's all they need. And there is issues around whether they fund the team to then push on to try and challenge for the title again. Uh, and they've obviously not won the title since Sir Alex Ferguson left nearly eight years ago. The I know Simon will go into a bit more detail about this, but there was some fantastic coverage. Obviously, Sky, the game was meant to be on at 4.30, so Sky were there. Uh, and they had the fantastic uh, Micah Richards and Roy Keane and uh, the OK, Graham Souness, up on the punditry uh, stanchion. Um, and down at the ground level, they had Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, who obviously respective players, former players and also fans, heavy fans of their own football team. It was, it was brilliant. You know, they had to kind of uh, kill time until they made a decision to actually postpone the game. And there was nearly an hour, maybe more, of this back and forth. Uh, Gary Neville, uh, I think it was Jamie Carragher, once shouting up towards uh, where they were hosting. It was just a fantastic back and forth. And it was good live telly, decent journalism. Uh, but there were, there were bad things to come out. And uh, Simon, I don't know if you think there was someone charged. I think they were keeping the players... Uh, locked in their hotel rooms if i'm right yeah i mean to say it was unsalubriously you know you know scenes would be an understatement to a certain extent um so there were two police officers injured um one 28 year old i think he is has been charged with um assault um and he's obviously awaiting some sort of uh trial in the future if there's enough evidence to to prosecute him so yeah, it, it's not a great scene. And it, it kind of leads on to my my big point about all of this is that fans, Chelsea fans, Liverpool fans, uh, you know, Arsenal fans, the three or four Tottenham fans that exist, um, all, um, you know, did their best to, to, you know, to stand up to their owners and say, no, we do not accept this. This was the ultimate show of player of player of fan power and the power of fans and i really think we've taken two steps forward but we've definitely taken a step back i think this whole situation this whole protest has really soured a lot of things in that regard um you know you, you can't go into a situation where you're storming your team's pitch where you're lighting flares where you're injuring two police officers i mean this is going to turn the public completely out of supporting you and start thinking that, you know, give a, a pretty negative opinion of, of football fans again in general. And we've spent, you know, so long waxing lyrical about how great they've been over the last few weeks. And it just seems like we've taken a real step back. Yes, Dan. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a non-football follower, it was clear to see, because of course it was mainstream news over the last few weeks, uh, all the stuff around the ESL. It was clear to see how United fans were and players and clubs uh, and the owners against the owners um, making these decisions on their behalf and that that much was clear is it a case of the minority and if it is just 200 people that is a minority isn't it relative to the bigger fan base that man united have is it a case of the minority um taking it a bit too far and taking the opportunity to to have issue with a bigger the bigger issue like you say ben this has been boiling on for a little while it, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of layers um, here. The 
protests, the majority, overwhelming majority of football fans of these top six clubs uh, disagree and dislike the way the ESL was handled. We've discussed it on a previous show. Football owners in this country, especially the three American owners that are in question, uh, Liverpool United and Arsenal, there has been backlash. Liverpool, the FSG came out and, and gave a really uh, poor apology but it's kind of going away a little bit, you know. This was majority of these were Manchester United fans. I'm not saying who did the damage, this kind of thing. Both teams dislike the ASL and want the management change. Uh, and also last week I mentioned that uh, Spotify founder Daniel Ek had bid, launched a bid for Arsenal that I think Stan Kroenke's actually turned down. Arsenal fans were outside the Emirates as well uh, protesting this. It also comes off the back of... Uh, I know we don't discuss politics on this show, but of course there was a protesting bill put forward and it's kind of amalgamated. It's kind of built up into this and uh, the, uh, you know, kill the bill protest maybe, and I know this isn't related, but maybe this, there's a, a protesting feel. I disagree that these protests should have been done in this way. A good, honest protest at the stadium Glazers are not looking at this and going, oh, you know what, actually, yeah, they, they made that game. I'm going to sell my club today. I'm going to sell the club. It's not going to make any changes. So all you're doing is is just affecting the players, affecting the game. It's going to get rescheduled. You're affecting your own team. Yeah, I think. So, So Simon, what's what's another, you know, we talked about the potential outcomes and the fallout of the ESL um issue. What What's likely to happen here? Because, you know, again, as someone that doesn't particularly watch football, this kind of stuff happens outside stadiums in streets when fans lose, you know, they go against each other. This is, just happens to be fans united with each other, but they're still, um, you know, there's still a bit, an element of that kind of um, uh, protesting aggression or, you know, that you tend to see in the news. Obviously that's a massive, you know, not every fan is like that. It is often a minority, but is it just going to go away and we're just going to get on with football again? Or is this just something that's going to rumble on now until something changes? Well, I mean, the problem with, and I, I, um, I don't want. Yeah, I said I don't want to take this down the political route because I am a, you know, I, I will support protests. I think there is room for protests in specific circumstances. You will always have some, you know, I don't want to say bad apples because it's the worst cliche ever when we're talking about <laughs> protests. But you will also you will always have one or two, a small minority of people that that do the wrong thing. Um, you know, that will, as I said, attack police officers or, or, or whatever that might be, um, which obviously ruins it uh, for the greater minor- majority of people who are, are trying to do it safely and trying to, you know, to put forward a point. Um, to kind of further from what Ben says, I really don't think that the Glazers give one fig about it. They had this when they took over the club, which was... 2005 six seven something along those that region and you know we had uh, a phoenix club fc united rise um you know taking away i don't know a few thousand fans who were dissatisfied with the american owners they you know barely felt the impact of it that's just you know that's just one more t-shirt you know uh being sold in china or something like yeah there's an ability to to absorb such a small minority of dissatisfied fans. So the only way the Glazers, as I said, Ben Sotter said, is right when they say is that they're not going to change their point of view based on one game and one uh, protest of 200 fans. Um, unless 
things change for them financially where bad business deals or something changes within football regarding the finances um i mean they're collecting their dividend every year from the uh, all the money they've got invested in the t- team you know they're taking home huge amounts of profit so why would you give that up you're not going to care about what some fans you know halfway across the world think about you you're thinking about money these are businessmen these are men whose sole purpose in life or one of their sole purposes in life is to make money to make uh, money to live more uh, to live you know more comfortably and to be better than anyone else and so yeah i can't see this affecting them um do i hope that we have this again no not at all but there is a situation where i think united fans if they're dissatisfied with their owners need to think about um you know either uh, some other way of, of protesting you know not turning up to games not buying the merchandise making it known i mean yes protesting has a place to put but you know, you have to have a situation where you try your best to control this and not let it go down this route again because the PR hit from this for general public. So most people who don't follow football have already have a very negative opinion of football fans anyway. Um, so, you know, if you have a situation where we're storming pictures and, in, 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 you know, attacking police officers, it's, it's really not going to help the situation. And the uh, glaze is, as I said, you know, this hasn't affected them at all. Ben, final word on Manu Liverpool boycotting a quick final word on Manchester United boycotting football matches wouldn't even affect them financially anyway Manchester United have made profit during the COVID pandemic a lot of clubs have made hundreds of millions um of created generated hundreds of millions in debt uh, really being punished by not having fans in stadiums united you know even if you boycott the 75,000 fans they still rumble on they're such a, a wealthy family uh, the United Liverpool game. I don't know. I've not heard of a of a rescheduled date yet, Simon. If I'm not correct, it's going to be soon. But it's going to affect Manchester United more than us. They're still in Europe. So, so this, of course, and the reason I asked for your final word there, Ben, is because I want to move on slightly because this, of course, happened um, in the in the backdrop of the social media blackout that um, propagated from football, uh, the football teams and players, um, because of the amount of the sheer amount of abuse people sports people get through social media channels and the um the lack of uh um Regulation. accountability uh, <laughs> accountability that the platforms are seeming to show so uh and this of course then spread into other sports and we'll talk about that as well but it, it seems to me that that became the bigger story and unfortunately as a result the social media blackout probably didn't have the impact it perhaps could have done but I know Ben you've got thoughts on that and um, so perhaps we could speak about that a little bit yeah absolutely we'll move on to that we'll, we'll stay on the same team because uh, Brian Jordan Henderson Jordan Brian Henderson uh, Liverpool captain one of my absolute favorite players he a couple of weeks ago uh, joined with a foundation called Cyber Smile okay this was before the social media blackout was announced now Players actually drove the social media blackout and it then spread around all of these sports. This is the power that players have. Uh, the Cyber Smile Foundation are an award winning uh, anti cyber bullying, so their digital well being, and it promotes kindness, equality, inclusion, things the majority of decent people take for granted because you know, just expect that's what we should have. I will, I will say this now about the social media blackout. It's like putting a plaster on a compound fracture, okay? There is no way a weekend blackout is going to stop 
anonymity, uh, uh, that trolling anonymity that they're able to just dive on, chuck something, open a new account, put some hate online and delete the account. This has to be dealt with from the social media giants that are responsible for this. There is no point in having a weekend blackout. What's that done? It's just affected the people who love sport. You know, bullies are still just going to, trolls are still going to jump on today and and fire off their, uh, their hatred and their racism and all this uh, garbage you see online. Social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, make it harder to open an account. Make it, you know, you should have to go through registration processes. Uh, you know, that, that's surely the only way to to uh, to affect this and to, to actually stamp it out for good. Well, there's there's a clear message around communities that's often used in the in, 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 at these times, isn't it? That's if you if you create a community, you are responsible for managing that community and what goes on in it, um, and policing it to that extent as well. Uh, perhaps policing's slightly the wrong word because that has connotations. But uh, Simon, let's get your views on this. I mean, kind of adjacent to Ben's in a lot of words. I think it has it has hit football fans a lot. I I do appreciate that I think this sort of blackout has highlighted the issue. I think it's always something that's talked about, you know, uh, it's something that's been going on basically since Twitter and Facebook were invented that people could send awful messages to each other and, uh, you know, and abuse. And I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, Tyrone Mings the other week released some of the messages that he was sent recently. And a lot of it was absolutely, all of it was absolutely disgusting. I mean, you know, it is, it is vile poison, and that's the problem with social media to a certain extent. As, as as Ben says, the accountability level of things is is awful. I mean, you have to think. I mean, reg, you know, uh, having some sort of registration processes opens a can of worms about freedom of speech and everything else like that. But I do agree that you know it may be the only way to counter this trolling because, as you said, people can just. You, it takes you. 30 seconds a minute to open a, an email account you don't have to have any genuine details you know you can make up every bit, single detail on the spot and you know log into a twitter account you've just invented and then send people disgusting things i mean why you'd want to send things like that to people that you don't know anyway is entirely surreal anyway yes ben this last weekend, Chelsea banned a fan. I think he was uh, from Kettering. He, and I don't know the exact details. Uh, I'm sure I'm not legally allowed to say his name, but uh, he put some vile tweets online. He was banned from the ground for 10 years. What, what, what kind of arbitrary number is that? Chelsea are not running out of fans. Ban him for life. Yeah. You, know? you know, get in there and pull the roots out. You know, why is it? Oh, it's, it's difficult. I don't have the answers. I certainly do not have the answers. Uh, but I think a lot has to be done. And it has to, the, 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 the social media giants are, are definitely the ones responsible here. And it's it, it's everything from the real hate, disgusting, um, you know, uh, aggressive, racist, um, sexist language and, and threats and whatever that come through. But it's also the sentiment as well, because, you know, we uh, you know the, the kind of softer, almost gaslighting kind of things, because we look at, um, you know, there was the news that Alex Scott's going to be presenting uh, on um, the football show that I don't watch anyway. What was it called? Talks, talk sports football focus talk football, football focus. focus thank you um and um yeah even that was played with oh you know she's not that good a presenter this that and the other she was never this she was never that's like dude like if you don't if you don't have something nice to say just like piss off like it's it, it, does this 
innate need by a, a very you know a surprisingly large amount of people unfortunately large amount of people to to weigh in with their views anyway even if it's not constructive or nice or relevant to the conversation um and that is even harder to police uh, i expect even harder to try and bring accountability to because you know they're not um, they're not making threats and not being aggressive, but they're just being downright nasty. And, um, you know, they will put, they will do it with their own name. You know, there's no shame in the way they feel yet. It's still very sexist or racist or whatever, you know? Yeah. We've, uh, we've talked before about the pressure on female pundits in football. It's staggering. Uh, and the same for Alex Scott. One mentioned though, she's replacing Dan Walker and he's just awful. I think he's gone to the NFL. You haven't got anything nice to say, Ben. I'm joking. He's gone to the NFL network and there was massive backlash because he's now the host of the NFL show, if that's right, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Um, There was was a lot of background from NFL fans because they didn't want Dan Walker. I'm just joking. Uh, I'm not joking. That's very true. But uh, Alex Scott is going to be a credit to football focus and... Uh, they need it because, um, yeah, it's BBC's flagship football show in the Saturday afternoon, is it not? Uh, yeah, lunchtime show, isn't it? It's it, it's very popular. I mean, and it does. It just kind of sets the table as a, as a sporting show for the week ahead, the weekend ahead. And uh, I think, yeah, I think she'll do a really good job. And the thing is, no one's forcing people to watch it either. That's the thing. Yeah. So if you, if right. you. I mean, I know. Obviously, I'm not saying that if you don't like it, you should not watch it. Because, but at the same point, like you know yes you, she may not be your cup of tea she might not be someone that you like presenting it but there's still going to be content that you do like and and yeah and there's no one forcing you to watch it there's other shows to watch as well so i mean yeah it, it we're all disappointed kind of taste. we're all disappointed with the line of duty but 11 million people still tuned in and watched it so you know there you go um we're going to stick with Premier League and move on to that in a second. But just a final note on the um, social media blackout. Ben, you mentioned it went into other sports. Of course, Formula One, a lot of the Formula One drivers uh, tuned in on that as well uh, and did the same. But their teams didn't. So you actually missed nothing on social media from Formula One over the weekend because their teams tweeted and Instagrammed all the things. Can I take you back to last year? <laughs> Formula One's uh, response to the uh, the yeah. BLM movement and the racism and just how slow they were to implement anything. Yeah. So Formula One have done the exact same. Wait till next week. They'll have some podium at the front. They'll do something yeah. else. And, and rely just... on Lewis Hamilton to spearhead and it. And rely on token. Lewis Hamilton yeah. uh, as, as uh, yeah, it, it's... Formula, Formula One, way behind the days. It's not at its finest at the moment, is it? All right, let's move on to the Premier League. Simon, you've got some things to tell us about the Premier League. What's happening? So, yeah, it's kind of just a little roundup of, of where we are right now. It's it's kind of ended, not with a damp squib, because this is kind of the way the, the season always tends to end, with, with one team running away with it. But Man City uh, won at Crystal Palace at the weekend and have basically... Um, in everything but mathematics, um, guaranteed that they will win the title this year. So, um, you know, that has kind of gone down the pan a little bit in terms of an exciting title race, but that's not unusual. I mean, Liverpool finished on 99 points last year. Not 100, that would have been impressive. Only 99, but, um, you know, so they, they managed to do that. But also the relegation race appears to be completely concluded as well as West Brom and Fulham, once again, not mathematically um, 
clear and mathematically relegated, but very, very close to, to to going down, really. They they have to win, I think, basically win out all their games and hope that Brighton or Burnley or someone like that just loses every game they've got left. So it's turned into a damp squib in that regard. However, luckily, we still have a Champions League race. So uh, I'm sure Ben will have a lot to talk about on this, but I can tell you that there is quite a few teams still vying for the two spots. Um I'm kind of assuming that the Manchester teams are are basically guaranteed. I mean, Man United are on 67 points, so they could fall afoul of it. But it would take, once again, a really bad run of form, especially with them having five games left because one was cancelled at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot to go. Um, you've got Leicester on 63 points, Chelsea on 61 points. West Ham on 58 and Spurs on 56. And then bringing up the rear of this little mini league is Liverpool with 54, but have played a game less. So they still have a chance, but, you know, they've got to make up quite a lot of points in very, very little ground left to to catch up teams. What do you have to say, Ben? I just poured myself a big glass of wine when you mentioned Liverpool's points tally. Talking of the Champions uh, League race, Manchester United, of course, uh, needed to win, needed to beat Liverpool to keep the Premier League title race, sorry, to keep the Premier League title going on. City are going to play before Manchester United, of course, at home against Chelsea now because that game is not being rearranged yet for this week. I don't imagine it will be now. So City could actually win the Premier League title at home against Chelsea on Saturday without Man United kicking a ball. Hmm. So uh, that's good because Man United won't win the title. City... I've got a lot of Manchester United friends hailing from the Greater Manchester area. They are desperate for Manchester City to not win the Champions League, and they look—it looks ominous. They look incredibly good. They got two squads that could win the Champions League at this rate, I think. So uh, that's not wrapped up, but I genuinely think City are going to break their European duck. Now you talked about the relegation sides. I just want a quick mention on Scott Parker. I think he has done a fabulous job this season at Fulham, an underrated job. And if they keep hold of him, they've got some young, talented players. They drop down to the championship, make a good season of it. I think we'll see them bounce straight back up, much like we have seen Norwich and Watford, who are straight back in the Premier League for next season. Uh, There's always so much going on in football all across the leagues. It feels like it hasn't really stopped, even with the COVID situation. We've had most sports kind of stop for a long time, uh, but it'll be good to see fans back in the stadiums, which I think is only a fortnight away. Guys, sorry, you've got something to add. I can see so, it. Yeah, I mean, Scott Parker, was he was linked with the Tottenham Hotspur job recently. I don't think he was He was my favourite to get it by any means, but yeah, he has been linked with that job. So maybe it will be harder for Fulham. I think they were a team that over the second half of the season were a lot better than they were. The fir- I think the first, you know, six or seven games really did them in. Um, the problem they had, I think, was that they got in a lot of their recruits, their their transfers in late. So they were playing with Michael Hector at the back, who is at best a champions, a championship, I must say Champions League, a championship uh, defender. I'm sorry, Dan, I should only say nice things, but it is true. Um, So, and, you know, so they really struggled. And I think once they got in some, you know, quite shrewd buys, they were a much better side and uh, they gave a really good account of themselves. 
The social media blackout was about, you know, stamping out equality issues and racism issues. If football fans still need to be able to judge football players. Absolutely. <laughs> and if if you want to call a player awful, you call a player awful. Don't attack their character, but damn right you can attack their football performance, especially <laughs> on the pitch. Fulham have uh, kept hold of Anguissa this season. Obviously, they kept hold of him in, in last summer, but he's been good. Uh, I think uh, Dekodova Reed's been good. I know Mitrovic has been a bit of a peripheral player this year, but I like Fulham. They've played good football. They've lost a lot of games 1 0. I know that's the whole thing of just unlucky. You know, you've got to score to stay in the Premier League, but I think they need to keep hold of Scott Parker. I'm really upset, Jen. So far, we're 35 minutes into this show and neither of you have... You've agreed on everything you've talked about. There hasn't been a disagreement yet. We need more fireworks. So hopefully, as we transition to one ball on a green grass, 22 balls on green cloth, Ben, talk to us about the snooker and what a beautiful segue that was, I might add. Unbelievable segue. Yeah. Go for it. The snooker. Do you reckon we've got any snooker fans? I never know. I never know who, you know, who's listening. Are they listening thinking, oh, wicked, they're talking about the snooker world championships. It was the biggest game in world snooker. It was also a test pilot for the return of fans at sporting venues. The venue in question is the Crucible, the famous Crucible in Sheffield. It truly is an incredible venue. I've been a snooker fan ever since I used to go to my great great nanas and watch it you know sat on the sofa um watching Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis uh, legendary players of the game uh, we had a couple of fantastic players in the final Sean Murphy and Mark Selby Mark Selby won he won his fourth world championship which without doing some history work I think puts him level with John Higgins and only behind Ronnie O'Sullivan, Stephen Hendry, and Steve Davis, I think. Uh, and uh, Selby's a battler. He makes you play shot after shot after shot. But Sean Murphy's had a really tough year with personal problems. Obviously, with the COVID, they've been on tour away from their family, and there's been no uh, fans in the crowd. Can you imagine how quiet a snooker match is with there's not one person in the crowd? It's probably as quiet. <laughs> no, it's it's eerie. No shuffling. There's no shuffling. <laughs> yeah. <suits> and... <clears throat> it's eerie. And this time you had punches. There was a, a Sean Murphy pot on the black in the uh, in the semi-final game. Oh my, it was unbelievable. And he punched the air and the crowd were raucous and it really needed it. And they both, That's nice. um, That's nice. they both responded. Uh, both at the end of the game said, listen, the crowd, I, this has been incredible to be back playing sport uh, in front of a live crowd. Uh, Mark Selby pocketed £550,000 and Sean Murphy pocketed quarter of a million. So uh, good money and uh, just fantastic to see fans back. It really is. Nice. Sai, are you a sneaker fan? No. Um, so um, basically, uh, I did have a question actually, Ben. So you used to go and sit on your great nana's sofa and watch the game, I believe. Um, was that constituted some sort of punishment? Um, <laughs> no, no. Nana Snape, she, uh, she lived 98 or 97. Uh, she lived a great old life. I think she had eight children, something crazy. But 
uh, yeah, she had the little box TV and she was a massive Hendry fan. And Hendry won just basically every game for like a decade. Uh, but it was brilliant to watch uh, Ken Doherty playing back then as well. And Jimmy White, I think he made three or four World Championship finals and lost every one. He was a real player's champion. Uh, I'm a fan of snooker. I have been for uh, for many years since I was a young lad. And the World Championship is always something that is over two days, Sunday and a Monday. It's, it's brilliant. It's really, uh, it's cathartic almost, if I can use that word as a sport. Like it's, it's real, real, real pleasure to watch. I think I always find with snooker, and I, I mean, I, I jest, I, I have great admiration of the skill of these men and the concentration and women. I know there's a lot of women who play snooker as well. Um, you know, it, it takes a great deal of planning, you know, strategic planning, of course, Um you know, and I have a lot of respect for them. I always find it's a sport that seems to be kind of stuck within itself in some sort of level of purgatory in terms of like, it's got the old fashioned kind of, you know, jazzy, either jazzy uniforms or the kind of the fake kind of looking tuxedo look. Um, you know, it's a very hushed tones, lots of clapping, um, you know, but at the same point, you know, there has a, you know, a very consistent and well, um, you know, loyal audience. So, I mean, it's just what it strikes me as one of those types of, uh, of things. I'm going to ignore your hand for the time being, but, um, you, you but can't ignore my point, hand, <laughs> but at the same point, you know, what I can say, and I said, I, I obviously, you know, I like playing snooker. I don't particularly like watching it, but it is amazing to see fans back and it's awesome to see athletes, um, or snooker players in this case, uh, reacting to having, um, you know, fans back and, and seeing the difference in the games and seeing the difference in the passion and everything. So I, I thought that sounds fantastic. And, you know, maybe I'll give it a watch. I probably won't use a small old television though. I probably use my, my television. Yeah. You've got to get out the old, uh, you know, 14 inch television. You, you, uh, you talk about uh, athletes with the bunny ears. Uh, it's the same as esports. It's a mental, uh, war and I know Dan was laughing the whole way through that because he was definitely referring in his head to the Mitchell and Webb look which talked about snooker players and old snooker players and oh they've been here for five days no, or whatever. no I haven't I, I wasn't actually I That's think um, shot. I totally <laughs> yeah. take I, I totally take Simon's point though um it, it's it's it hasn't nothing has changed about watching snookers and watching it as a kid watching it at uni when you know you've had a few drinks you get back from the pub and there's nothing else on telly it's just snooker until like stupid o'clock in the morning and you will just it's just it's like i guess it's a bit like a the modern day equivalent of a youtube hole you could end up just watching snooker for an hour's on end and not know what's happened but really enjoyed watching it there's something peaceful about it but it hasn't changed a bit in you know 20 30 years um of how it looks of how it sounds of how they dress how the environment they're in the shuffles the fist pumps in the air and i think that's its charm i mean i'm not saying that it should go down a kind of a darts kind of you know rebranding with you know music and and ring girls walking around the table for each shot or anything like that because I think that would take away from each other. I mean, obviously, that would alienate a lot of its loyal following. But yes, it, it is a it is a sport that I think you know is always going to have a ceiling in in terms of viewing figures. I mean, it broke into China, and I know its figures in that regard have, have increased exponentially because of um, is it Ding Zhongwei? Ding Zhongwei, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and Wembo, and there's some incredible Chinese players coming through. 
you know, it is massive um, in the, the the Asian continent. I think there are solutions, and I'm sure maybe a meaty middle in summer we could get into them. But shot clocks, they've brought them successfully into tennis, uh, reducing serves down below 20, 20 seconds and 30 seconds in the Grand Slams. Uh, you could have minute, maybe 90 second shot clocks in snooker. Uh, bearing in mind that Selby was taking up to five, six minutes with a couple of shots, actually got warned in the semi-final about his pace. So there is ways that I think snooker could adapt. Uh, and it's run, I think it's still running, run by Barry Hearn. I mean, he knows how to put a show on in boxing. So, I mean, they'll find ways around it. But right now, I'm a fan. Thank you, Ben, for that. So, uh, you know, Simon, you alluded to the fact that snooker bores you a bit. Ben, Let's talk about boring, shall we? <laughs> can I can I do a retraction? Can you just stop my? I was mid superb segue, and you just oh, you? savaged it. Go on, you've ruined it. What was you've the segue? Taken... It doesn't matter now. Carry Cause, on. Because I want to do a retraction. Please do. Last week, yourself from this podcast. <laughs> last week, <laughs> I said at the end of our discussion about the Formula One qualifying that people, everyone listening should watch Formula One because it's absolutely exceptional. I retract that after this weekend. You've literally just stole my segue from me. Oh. You're, a, you're a terrible person. Do, do the segue, you can segue. edit me out. <laughs> so, Simon, you were talking about how boring you find snooker. Ben, how boring was the Formula One this weekend? Oh, that's all I had to wait for. That was yeah, you fantastic. literally had to wait 10 seconds. That was okay, brilliant. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Ben, as you alluded to, Portimao, Portugal, the Portuguese Formula One Grand Prix was this weekend. Last year's race was exceptional, largely because um, we hadn't raced at that track before. Well, certainly in a long time. Uh, It was new on the circuit last year because of all the adjustments to the pandemic. So we were very excited about heading back to Portimao this year. The roller coaster of Portimao. But Ben, it didn't deliver, did it? No, no, it was awful, awful race. I think last year they had adverse weather in Portimao, which I think enhanced the race, especially those first uh, incredibly fast right-handers. It's actually a beautiful course, kind of undulating in a stunning area in Portugal. But there was two, three, no, maybe 10, 10 good laps with some overtaking. Or there was Verstappen yeah. and Hamilton changing positions. But after then, it was... Um, yeah. It was, and, and uh, the opening, opening, or the end of the opening lap, of course, Kimi Raikkonen crashed out. Yeah, to his own teammate, it was that yeah. boring a race. Like, it wasn't even drama. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, I made a mistake, a racing incident. The one thing that I, I am really impressed by is how the commentators able are able to keep talking about stuff. I mean, yes. There was nothing happening. Yeah, no, it was remarkable. I think um, one thing it, it served to highlight was um, how important the tyres are. If, if the Pirelli get the tyre compounds wrong on the weekend, that's the weekend done, largely. Um, and the teams will certainly let you know it. Um, the other thing was um, how close and how um, nip and tuck it is between Mercedes and Red Bull this season. Even just three races in, we're seeing we're seeing gains here, we're seeing gains there. Um, it, there's nothing certain in this title fight this year, I think. And, you know, in previous seasons, I think we just we, we sort of start to see dominance by now, but we're not seeing it. Simon. Sorry to uh, to kind of um, push this in there, guys, but who won 
probably a good idea to tell us who actually won the race. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who did Ben. Any ideas? <laughs> That's a good show, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, the uh, the greatest driver of all time, Lewis Hamilton, won. He Damon did Hill. really well. <laughs> yeah, he got his Hill. he got his 97th career win. Good lord, 97. So he's three wins away from a century of wins. It's undeniably phenomenal talent, and um, denying other undeniably phenomenal talent wins and championships. Um, and they can't wait for him to leave because people like Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris need him to go so they can start getting championships as well. But you know, look at Norris; he's on 30 odd points already this season, Ben. Yeah, 37 points. Um, brilliant. Best tally from the opening three races uh, of a season. Uh, I think better last season by 11 points already. Really impressive. Norris is my best of the rest. I know Lewis Hamilton's looking fantastic, but Verstappen's not out of this race. I know it's crazy to talk exactly. about that when we've got yeah. 20 races left, yeah. but the Mercedes looked a bit ominous. I'm I'm worried. I'll be honest, Dan, I'm worried. Yeah, I mean, the, the big, the, probably the biggest talking point for us, certainly in our chat over that race, was the very last couple of laps because, you know, the leaders got themselves enough of a gap to all dive in for a fresh set of boots um, or tyres, rather, to go for fastest lap, which now gains them an extra point as long as they finish in the top 10. And it's a risky strategy because if their pit stop goes wrong or they, you know, whatever, a number of things can go wrong. Um, but that shows you how these teams are thinking. These teams are thinking 20 races ahead when it might come down to one point between Red Bull and Mercedes and Lewis and Max. And I hope that's the case. I really do. I think that strategy of diving in and putting new boots on as you as you refer there to the tyres, I think it's going to catch someone a cropper and they're going to have a bad pit stop and they're going to lose their position because a yeah. sticky wheel nut, it's not easy to do a pit stop in 1.9 seconds with four tires. There are yeah. some incredible things with Formula One, but um, yeah. it's quick to let's just forget that race and, and pretend it's still brilliant. Yeah, move on to uh, Barcelona, which may not be that exciting. But anyway, we're going to move on in a moment slightly. But I just want to say, Formula One is, uh, so I'll come to you. Uh, Formula One is starting to lose a little bit of my heart, as much as it will always be, you know, my, my bay. <laughs> it will always be, you know, the thing. I have to say, IndyCar and Formula E are creeping up. I've watched more IndyCar recently than I ever have done, largely um, because staying up to watch it uh making the effort but and and same actually same with formula e but they're great racing and formula e's got so much it's different nuance to it you know the battery all this kind of stuff there's the two race days uh indy cars just rapid as and there's some wicked racing throughout the field and some very experienced races but yeah there's a lot of great motor racing out there and formula one needs to you know there's a lot riding on next year isn't there ben I think there's a lot right on the on, on this year. <laughs> you know, we've got Possibly. 20 races yeah. left. Yeah. I just uh, mean with the regulation changes and the new direction. You know, following up my momentary segment about snooker and both of you with your kind of, you know, haughty derision, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be honest, you know, Formula E is garbage, Dan. Now, you can tell, <laughs> you're smiling, but tell me, show me, talk to me, you know, sell it to me. It's awful. It has problems, but you've got to watch it. You've got to get into it. There's there's often great racing. There's some great talent in there. It's quick. It doesn't take up much of your weekend. And they're racing on the full Monaco track this weekend, which is going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to come back to that, though, because that's looking ahead. Sai, uh, go. 
I have to say, I love this. I love when you two start arguing about stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I'm um, glad we can keep you entertained. So kind of going on from what you guys were saying, as you know, I'm coming across a bit like an asshole because sports I don't follow, I tend to give with a level of haughty derision, I believe. Um, but um, <laughs> kind of going into, is this kind of the situation where it's the worst nightmare for f1 and f1 fans to have you know a one horse race or a two horse race um the the normal segregation between the various teams with the many of the teams you know not even being auto runs are we are we kind of going down this route is this no. is it something that i mean dan you were talking about how much you're falling out of love a little bit with with formula one um you know i think obviously that's so, something's uh, happening something's I, happening I, I, in your loins that is like I think that's overselling it slightly falling out of love um it's you make a point about you know the, the top teams being far and away and that that's happened in the past and it'll undoubtedly happen this year there'll be the top three and that'll be it or top two um however the, it's the midfield right the way down to the bottom actually is now quite exciting because you've got talent like Schumacher and Russell in teams that are routinely finishing last but they're a bit, they can be racy as well. So you actually see action all the way through the field at the moment. And, you know, the midfield is often where, where the action is to watch. So you've got more haughty derision coming. I can see it in your eyes. I have to say, <laughs> I mean, Dan, I'm always tuning in to see who finished 15th. It's a, it's a whirlwind of, a, of an individual <laughs> drama story. Simon, 15th is something you can only hope for as a Chicago Bulls fan. So. Ooh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. He's, he's, he's not being... As cool as you think, he's actually being quite truthful. Uh, Right, so anyway, that was Formula 1. It wasn't the most exciting weekend of uh, Formula 1, but that's why we love it. It's the highs and lows. It's everything that goes with it. The circus of Formula 1 will continue, and we will be with it. Let's move on, gentlemen. Um, Something that cropped up this weekend, and um, we don't talk about um, NBA huge amounts on the show, actually, given um, little bits here and there, but we haven't gone to great depth and um, but we are going to talk about the WNBA briefly uh today and that's because there's the news this week that a number of their games are going to be broadcast through Twitter and Facebook uh, and Paramount Plus and this is part of the ongoing work with the WNBA the Women's Na- National Basketball Association in the US to work with um platforms such as Google and Facebook to be more visible which of course is the fight that you know, so-called women's teams, as it were, um, you know, rather than the men's team, it's not the men's NBA, is it? It's the NBA and then the women's NBA um, have to go through. They have to put themselves on these platforms to get the visibility. But this seems like a good move from them. And Twitter will show um, 12 games. Uh, Facebook will stream 20 and uh, 15 of them before they take the break for the Tokyo Olympics. But yeah, then uh, Paramount Plus will have loads for... Um, whatever else as well so there's a lot of good airtime for WNBA coming up Ben are we in danger of seeing those sites move to a pay-per-view format or are we going to watch that content free on Twitter and Facebook I think initially it's absolutely going to be for free but um, there is news today of Twitter purchasing a company to help with their subscription service so undoubtedly there will be subscription content eventually but yeah Sam well I mean uh 
kind of first just starting with an apology yeah we we need to talk more about the nba it's one of my my passions so i need to start talking about it again we are coming up towards the re- end of the regular season so i'm sure something will come up on that but kind of going on what you were saying not just about the wnba but you see a lot of it with facebook especially and twitter they're now streaming college games you know american college games they're streaming the g league basketball which is kind of the um almost like the, the feeder league within the, the NBA. A lot of those games are free to watch on Facebook. So I think this is kind of a progression, you know, for a lot of sports now. And it's nice to see the WNBA, um, you know, kind of maybe, I'm not saying getting with the times because I wouldn't know much about their media strategy, but having a situation where they're able to get more eyes watching because that's the thing with on Facebook, for example, you know, you can I can stream, uh, you know, scroll down my mini feed on the very rare occasion that I on Facebook, and there will be a, a college um, American football game. You know, playing it might be a completely random, you know, lower division college game, but you know, you're getting eyes on these things. So I think it can only do good thing for the women's game and and, and give them a bit more co- um, coverage because the WNBA is actually quite a good watch. It might not have the athleticism of the men's by any means, and I think that is basically inarguable that to say otherwise but at the same extent you have you know very good skill very good strategy and i think hopefully by putting it on a platform that you know it's not even just about sports fans having to go and find it you know you could literally be scrolling uh, scrolling down on twitter and and it just be playing so it's it's very good for them to have a situation where this is this is uh more visible i understand for twitter uh because it's a great platform but is the uh putting the wnba games on facebook to attract uh boomers like yourselves i think it's around um just getting out there to different platforms where people are when you look at the demographics of who's using these things you want to <laughs> was i supposed to be uh getting into <laughs> i missed the joke i could see it yeah boomers facebook because no one uses facebook anymore ben that's Ooh, where you're wrong facebook is fired. used well, it's Facebook used. Facebook also owns some other giant powerhouses of social yeah. media. Which um, Just to, to say on that, though, I think, um, you know, we talked about it before. Representation and visibility is so important. You look at what um, the, you know, with women's football a few years back, with netball. And, you know, w- when these things make the TV and you've got the Women's Super League as well um, now being broadcast more, it's visibility matters. So this is absolutely in the right direction, isn't it? Yeah, our uh, rescheduled interview from tonight is actually going to really dive into uh, that exact topic, and uh, I can't wait. The I think it was last year Netflix bid over two hundred and fifty million for eight evening Saturday Premier League games that was uh, signed by I think it was a mixture of Amazon or Sky. So we are definitely going to see sport moving to streaming platforms. So especially uh, with uh, women's soccer and, uh, you know, the Women's National Basketball Association, get that on the streaming platforms now and it will build it up because that's where the men's uh, games are going as well. So, you know, everyone, all the fans will be attracted to the same platform. Yeah, you're right as well because um, obviously they don't need the coverage the same way as some of these more less watched sports but the nfl for example has just signed a deal with amazon prime i think starting next year to do every thursday night game so we are seeing various streaming services buying up lots of different sports now so that's you know that's something to watch out for and um you know possibly yep. creating sporting libraries as it were um for more of a, a comprehensive streaming um 
you know, strategy. I know Amazon Prime, you know, they do quite a few sports. They've done the football as well and they've done the tennis. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to start buying stuff up and hopefully some of these more um, unknown or, or less watched sports can get, you know, a little bit of a bump from that as well as, as, you know, competitors start to try and, you know, find stuff to fill programming as it were. Yeah, and, and, and echoing that, there is no way that the likes of B Sky B can compete with these streaming houses, not just because of the sheer size of, of, of Amazonia, but also because they don't have to pay for 24-7 production companies. They hire for the day or they hire for the evening. It's an incredible business model. I mean, you know, I'm not Jeff Bezos, but clearly it works. I am excited for sport to move to the streaming platforms and also if it means the demise of sky uh so be it uh, i i'm with you largely ben but it all it does is move the problem at the moment which is you know for someone who's a motorsports fan if i want to be able to watch rally motor gp um for, uh, formula e, um formula one and you know you're on about six or seven different platforms by the time you got through to it and then you throw in a bit of nba and if you want to watch it's it's just shuffling cards isn't it in a deck at this stage you know you're still going to have a ridiculous amount of platforms yeah and and that obviously is the boomer view which we talked about before (laughs) where you want to rest your tv back four channels and you want (laughs) formula one uh with the the chain playing you know every sunday morning 10 races a year with the legend murray walker commentating those days are gone get on board with streaming platforms yeah it's a cost thing but that's the thing it's putting a lot of sport out of the price reach of a lot of people I don't have a comeback for that. Maybe we should do a whole segment on streaming. Sai, help me out. You could argue, though, that that has been the case for many, many years anyway. Um, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Even, even before BT Sport and everything else came in, Sky alone, I mean, how much is Sky these days? 60 quid, 65 quid for the average person? So that in itself, I feel no sympathy for them. And, you know, maybe we'll have a situation where these people who are spending 60, 70 pounds on Sky we'll spend it on streaming services instead. Um, Whether that's right or wrong is another thing, but you might find it's more of a redistribution of funds rather than necessarily bumping the price up per se. Yeah, I think um, a a lot's going to change in this space, I think, around streaming and sport. And, you know, Ben, you you know full well that every, every year comes the bring F1 to Netflix chats because of course they do so well with drive to, drive to survive. But I think Formula One fans would like to see Sky lose their, their monopoly there. I, uh, I mean, th- maybe, maybe it's, it's this easy. You just put the names of uh, all these uh, huge owners in a hat and just shake the bag, sorry, in the bag and shake it and pick out who you want to pay, whether it's Bezos or Zuckerberg or the um, Sky owners of which we don't mention on this show. So, Listen, there is going to be streaming. Uh, uh, there is going to be a change to streaming platforms, so we need to get on board now. Maybe they should put a a price cap. I don't know. They're just they're going to charge us, and we're going to pay. Surely. <laughs> so, so final word on this because so, we, we, we want to yeah, move on. This is opening a big can of worms. But what yeah. the hell's up with you know Sky and um, and BT and the various others? you know, having a box office channel as well. Is that not just another money, a petty money grab as well? I mean, ultimately, we should not feel sorry for these, uh, you know, these uh, these broadcasters themselves. I mean, these have they've been milking the average sport fan dry for, oh, yeah. for decades. So, um, yes, oh, I, it doesn't change the problem, but 
you know, there's a situation where I feel very little sympathy for these big CEOs who are going, let's let's have a football channel that you have to pay another £75 for to watch three games. People will pay it. Don't get me wrong. I, will, the bastards. We do not feel sorry for Sky on this show. Okay, let's move on to something a little more um, topical at the moment, and that's the ongoing pandemic, of course, and its potential knock-on impact again for the Olympics, Ben. We've had it. We talked about it a couple of times on this show. The to and fro. We don't think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a lot of money riding on it for Japan. A lot of emotions riding on it for the athletes. And um, what prompted me to talk about it this week was the um, uh, the, the, the headline. And I'll, I'll read from the the Guardian here. And that's the organisers of the Tokyo Olympics have sparked anger in Japan's medical community after they asked 500 nurses to volunteer at this summer's games. And this request came as the IOC, Olympic International Olympic Committee, um, pressed ahead with plans to hold the Games, despite them continuing to suffer with COVID. Um, ben? It's very difficult for us to sit here in the UK and make a decision on what might happen uh, 10,000 kilometers away or however far. You know, it's like me sitting here at the pub tomorrow afternoon and saying oh india should be open for the pub you know i don't know what's happening there and by the looks of things it is simply not good japan are in a state of emergency in in effect i believe right now in that they are having huge covid numbers massive infection uh, massive rise in infections daily um i don't know all the covid lingo it's been drummed into our ears for over a year um and i, I you know i if they can do it without costing lives it has to go ahead if it's going to affect their running of hospitals and care for people during a pandemic it can't go ahead that's simple now it's obviously not simple when you've got 10 billion dollars riding on it that's the cost of putting an olympic games on we understand the tickets are they sold 11 million tickets for this games 11 million they broke the 2012 british record can i imagine how many tickets that is for events uh, there is only going to be locals there even if that play the play do the olympics behind uh, closed doors uh, secondly it's not only that it's also the paralympics because we've been mentioned the olympics every show and we've not mentioned the paralympics tokyo yep, 2020 fair. which is also going alongside which is also having the same effect where athletes mm-hmm. do not know if they are, are packing their bags and going on an airplane yeah, no, I'm completely with you, Ben. It's not for us to um, to say one way or the other definitively because we can't. It's, you know, uh, COVID, as we know from our, our experience in this this country, changes almost on a, on, a, on a dime, as it were, month to month. So a lot can happen before July. But, yeah, it's just so much at play. It's remarkable, really. Uh, it just shows you how big the Olympics is to um, people, economies, countries, etc. Simon? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> They, the only thing that brings me some level of comfort with this whole situation is that we're now over a year into this situation and there have been events that have gone ahead. I mean, NFL, the NBA bubble, um, you know, various different things have gone ahead that have kind of given us an idea of how we can make this work. So hopefully 
organizers in Japan have taken note of what's been what's um you know what's happened elsewhere and you know tried to use it to their advantage now i think ben said i can't remember what week was it was last week or the week before um he mentioned that you know if any country is going to be able to do it it would be japan with their level of technology um you know their organizational skills and everything else like that so you know there is hope for this olympics but i think as to echo what's already been said it has to be safe but it would be an absolute travesty if the Olympics didn't go ahead for just for these athletes alone. They've already had it put back by one year to have a situation where it's just completely scrapped. Basically, would be tragic at best. Yeah, I think that the figures they lost ten billion basically last year not hmm. having the event. It's hard to mobilize staff at that level, that scale, to host an Olympic Games. Um, you know, they've they've obviously got a lot of money going out Japan in various areas. Uh, not to mention the Fukushima power plant, which is a big one. I read an article about that the other day. Billions. It's going to get towards trillions, I believe. It's staggering amounts of money. But that's a brilliant point. Brilliant point, site. We've had trial events. So they can see, you know, the NBA behind closed doors. I think it was played at Disneyland or something. Mm. Um, we've had football. We've had the Super Bowl. We've had these, you know, Super Bowl halftime show, <laughs> for God's sake. You know, so we've had trial events. Surely, hopefully, the the IOC, the Olympic uh, official uh, International Olympic Committee, uh, run by Sebco. Hopefully, they can get together and say, "Listen, we're all together. We're all in this. Can we put the event on?" Yeah. Well, we will find out. I'm sure in short order. Well, that's as much as we wanted to cover in terms of what's been going over the last week. Simon, you excitedly have something else for us. Go for it. We we missed one. We missed one, Dan. Going. In our hastily planned pre-podcast meeting, we missed um, Jose Mourinho, our 20 million severance package man, has found himself a new club. So starting from next season, he is going to be the manager of Serie A team Roma. So what I would categorize myself, and I'm sure I don't think you'd know, Dan, but Ben would agree with me, a sleeping giant, you know, a team that's had middling success at best. So, you know, I think they finished seventh, I think they're seventh this season. They finished fifth last year. So, you know, not entirely successful, but with a really good squad and, you know, hopefully with a bit of money behind him, we could find, you know, in a couple of years time, the old, oh, is Jose Mourinho going to come back to the Premier League again? You know, I'm sure there's at least one or two clubs he's not managed in the Premier League. So you'll find one or two of them. So, yeah, very exciting news to have old Jose, you know, not sunning himself for too long on his um, throne made of, you know, $20 million uh, or pounds. Um, yeah, and back with us, back managing a football team. There's no doubt that this man has tens of millions in the bank. He's just got a job in Rome Italy, you know, one of the most uh, wonderful destinations in the world. Uh, he's going to go and live there. He's probably going to do an incredible job. Mourinho always does in the first 12 months of a contract. The Stadio Olimpico is a beautiful venue. Uh, I I think that's going to be good. And and on the back of that, I think Arsenal. That's that's my tip for the next Premier League man team managers. Um, I'll be honest. The way you excitedly threw your hand up, I was like, we missed something, we missed something. I expected a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to level with you. You yeah. came out with me. Joe's, uh, Were Jose you hoping Mourinho. for Formula E? I don't know what I was hoping for. <laughs> right, well, thank you, gents, for that. That is, of course, our roundup of what's been going on over the last week in our heads and in sports. 
So here we are. We are into the final furlong of the last Wednesday of the week. If you want to get in touch with us about anything we've talked about on this show, if you want to get involved in the show, have a conversation with us, find out what we like, or just tell us what you like, you can find us on Twitter at WednesdayPod, on Instagram at WednesdayPod. You can leave voice messages on Anchor. I believe there's a link in the very show notes of this show to do just that. And of course, please don't forget to share the show, like, subscribe, and rate us, and help us reach more sports fans. So, Simon, what's on the radar for the week ahead for you? Dan, I have to say there is very little on the radar for me this this week. The NFL is now gone uh, for the time being. We're going to have cuts. We're going to have training camp in a few weeks' time, a few months' time. But, yeah, there's very little to go there. Uh, NBA is, is winding down, and we're going to start to go towards the playoffs soon, so I'm sure I'll be reinvigorated for then but with the bulls absolutely dying a death at the moment it's kind of made me lose some level of enthusiasm and as i said <laughs> it's the you know coming towards the end of the uh, premier league and you know and then it's on to the euro so yeah there is things to look forward to but actually in the very short term i have very little to discuss so um i'll pass it on to ben who i'm sure has some international tiddlywinks championship he wants to mention but we'll uh we'll go from there <laughs> do you know this weekend uh I I have a, a vaccination, COVID vaccination on Saturday, pro-vaccination. And I'm going to spend, it's a Saturday morning, I'm going to spend the rest of the weekend uh, abusing my mate's Disney Plus account. Now, I know that's not sport-related, but that's all I've got coming up this weekend. I'm I'm taking a weekend off. I say I'm taking a weekend off. I know we'll do this podcast next week and we'll have a last weekend and it'll go on for an hour. Something will come Correct. out of nowhere. It always does. Sport is ace. So um, I'm going to give you a challenge then, Ben, and that is uh, there's two things coming up for, for my watch weekend and that is uh, the Barcelona Grand Prix, you know, Spanish Grand Prix. We've got that. Uh, it's back to back, isn't it, Ben? Double header. Uh, it's actually a Formula One race this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's double header, oh, no isn't it? Way. Okay, Formula One. Pumped. I'm going to watch that all weekend. I'm, do you know what? And I'm going to watch all of the practice sessions and the qualify. Are they going to do the qualifying this weekend? No, no, oh, no. Okay. This weekend. Um, but also, Ben, my challenge to you is um, to watch the Formula E this weekend on the streets of Monaco. No, no, there's a, uh, a Tiddlywinks Championship me... <laughs> in the Timbuktu. I want you to give me a full uh, full report on that. I want you to tell me what you honestly think. Watch it, get in on it. And Shall I give it, you a report Monaco. like you did a couple of weeks ago with the Valencia Grand Prix? And just get it all wrong. <laughs> Be the lazy motorsports fan that I am. However, it's the first time that Formula E are doing it on the full Formula 1 track as well, so it should be pretty fun. Just to recap, though, that's Monaco, the uh, quintessentially <laughs> worst track in the history of Formula 1. Uh, well, it's not always been the worst, has history it? History of modern Formula 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. There's, 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 there's nuances in Formula E, Ben, so interesting experiment anyway, and I'm looking forward to it for a bit of a laugh. Right, that brings us to the end of this week's show. We don't have much to look forward to, so Ben's going to tell us all about Formula E next week. But of course, thank you for joining us on this, the last Wednesday of the week. Until next last Wednesday of the week, I've been Dan. I've been Simon. I've been Ben. And when you get back onto social media, be kind. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>